everyone. Welcome back. Episode, let's see, four in season five. We are continuing this journey of looking at how we move from a place of spiritual death, from the fall, to be redeemed through Christ, to be brought back, to be made alive in him, and what that journey looks like. And we're using the story of Adam and Eve. It's this gift we've been given in the scriptures to help us see some symbolic things that can really help us dig into our own lives and see what's keeping us from life in Christ. And today, like last time, we're going to keep exploring the fig leaves. I'm sorry, but I think this is a huge, just this idea alone is huge. The ways in which we scramble for counterfeit clothing to comfort ourselves from the effects of the fall. And again, so many of these happen subconsciously. We're not walking around saying we're doing it, but this is God's way, I really think, of helping us to explore the deep motives of our heart and intents to help us see what's keeping us from moving forward and feeling or experiencing true redemption in Christ. So today we're going to look at a different kind of fig leaf, and we're also going to spend the next episode, probably three total maybe four. Right now it's three. That's the plan. But this one's a sneaky one. We're not going to go back to what we talked about last time. You can explore that on your own. Today is a different one. But it's it's interesting. I've been thinking all morning about how in my faith, in the LDS faith, the idea is taught um, quite often that Satan plays a huge role in talking us into making our aprons. That often he is the one whispering, um, you don't need God. You can do this on your own. You need to grab some, you need to grab this, grab that. That will work. That will cover it. Um, whether you're LDS or not, I mean, I think any of us who understand how the enemy works know that he really is going to do all he can to keep us from our Savior. And part of that is this kind of counterfeit clothing that we drape ourselves in. So the one thing that I think is almost maybe the one of the most common types of fig leaves he whispers to us. Maybe one of the biggest ways, I think, biggest forms of fig these fig leaves can take is denial. Denial. That's what we're going to talk about today. I've talked about it in other episodes, but man, we've got some things to break down today when it comes to denial in our lives. I think for a lot of us, one type of denial or one type of fig leaves that's really common that we can see around us are those that... He whispers into their minds and they they end up believing, you know what? There's no God. There is no sin. There's no right or wrong. I can just live the way I want. I don't have to feel shame and guilt over this stuff because it's not sin like you're saying it is. And I'm just going to live the way I want and move forward. That is a fig leaf apron to just live in that kind of denial that God isn't even real. So it doesn't even matter. We see that in our world all the time, right? You can see it as a perfect example of a way we respond to the fall. Whether someone is a believer or not, they're still fallen. <laughs> They've still experienced a spiritual death. And so one way to cope with the shame of it is to just go, you know what? I don't buy it. And I'm just going to live the way I want. Fig leaves. Fig leaf apron that comforts us and helps us so that we don't have to deal with the shame. There's no sin. There's no fall. This is all, you know, bunk. I don't believe it. So, but see, this is the thing. A lot of us that are listening, if you're listening to this podcast, I mean, that's not you, right? Those of us that are believers, we see that for what it is. And so we may say, oh, you know what? I don't live in denial. I understand (laughs) that God is real and that this is an issue, but 
What I want to spend most of my time talking about today is the flip side of denial. Not the side that denies God and denies sin, which is a very real apron, but the fig leaves that can slowly start to accumulate on us that are the religious side of it that says, in essence, you know what? I'm a good person. I do this. I do this. I do this. I go to church. You know, I, I, there's this whole checklist. I'm not sinful. I'm not fallen. I'm not like those people. I, I do a lot of good things. And so I don't really feel fallen. I don't feel like a bad person. I'm pretty, I'm doing pretty okay. I'm doing pretty good. Now, again, this may happen subconsciously, but it can be this kind of belief system that because we're so active in our faith, we start to look at that checklist and rely on that. And that checklist becomes a bunch of fig leaves that makes us believe, oh, you know what? I'm doing good. I don't really need a lot of help. I'm, I'm fine. Let me give you an example. Um, my husband taught religious education at an LDS university for 15 years, and he was teaching once on the fall, straight out of the Book of Mormon, all kinds of different verses on fallenness, sinfulness, our need for Christ because of that. And it was Mother's Week, and a mother had come um, with one of the, the college students and to sit in on the class. And she was just fidgeting, and she finally couldn't handle it anymore and raised her hand and shot out, I'm not fallen started to kind of argue with him. Like, I'm a good person. I'm not falling. Why are you teaching this? Um, needless to say, if you're LDS, let me just give you some verses. It's all over in the Book of Mormon. Mosiah 16, 4. Alma 12, 22. 2 Nephi 25, 17. Big one in Alma 42, 6. It says it everywhere. And and again, this is a main tenet of the Christian faith. That we, we are fallen and need to be rescued. But she was an active believer. She was a good, active, you know, in her faith, doing a lot of, and in her mind, no, no, I'm not fallen. Do you see how tricky and sneaky this apron can be? Because when we have a lot of good things and a lot of good works and we're very active, we do a lot of good stuff quietly in our mind, the idea that I'm not one of those people, I'm not a sinner, you know, and then this apron just quietly wraps tighter and tighter around us to where we don't fall at his feet in desperate need, even though we need him. We don't seek him that way because we feel like we're kind of doing okay. I don't know if you recognize, I mean, really, isn't this just modern day Pharisee it being a modern day Pharisee, right? Because the Pharisees, they were the religious ones. They were the good ones, the ones that knew their scriptures. And we're in church and memorized the entire Torah and did everything perfectly and never went anywhere unclean. And they were the good ones, the spiritual ones. And so when he showed up on the scene, the sinners flocked to him. They had no argument. They knew they needed help. They knew they were a hot mess. They loved Christ. But who were the ones that said, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't be talking about sinners. That's not me. That's not me. That's what it looks like to, to be a Pharisee. I think this is the main issue with this apron. Because a lot of us, we are the spiritual ones in our church community. We are the ones in our scriptures. And just like the Pharisees, we have it memorized. We do pray all the time. We do serve in our community and in our church. And But then we look at them and we go, no, 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 no. I'm not like a Pharisee. I don't act like them. This is not a fig leaf apron that applies to me at all. Like, no, I see that, that what they're doing. I don't act like that. 
But that's what I want us to just slow down for a minute and just kind of evaluate, could some of these motives exist deep, deep in our heart, hidden in our subconscious? It's not like it's out for us to see. That's why we go in denial. Like, no, here's another form of denial, right? I'm not a Pharisee. But I've caught it in myself. I see it all the time. Like, I I think it's really easy to slip into this fig leaf, leaf apron, to have the adversary whisper. And we begin to feel really self-satisfied with our religious life. Like, I'm one of the ones that should teach others because I've got this down. <laughs> let, me, let me give you a couple ways that have helped me to evaluate whenever I'm getting stuck in this kind of mindset. and getting stuck in these fig leaves. They're wrapping a little too tight around my brain and keeping me from full salvation in Christ, from full redemption, from from coming to him and experiencing the life that he has for me. We're going to do it just by reading through a quick parable that he gave. It's the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. You know it. I'm sure you know it. But um, this is what we've got to use, I think, for a little self-evaluation because it'll tell us we can say all day until we're blue in the face. I'm not a Pharisee. I don't ever do. JC, stop. That's not me. But here's your, here's your test. Here's your test. So in Luke chapter 18, Christ tells this story. It's verse 10. Starts in verse 10. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a Republican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. But in verse 13, the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. You've heard it, right? You know the story. But this is what I want you to ask yourself today. How do you approach God with which mindset? Do you feel like you're a pretty good person that has a good checklist? The Pharisees said, look, checklist. I fast. I pay tithing. I'm not like all those bad people. I'm a good person. That's kind of his mindset as he approaches God. While the publican, standing afar off, would not even lift up his eyes unto heaven, beat his breast and said, please, please give me mercy. I'm just a mess. I'm a sinner. I need you desperately. I'm I'm so aware of my fallenness and my sinfulness and my nothingness in comparison to your holiness. Do I come before God like that? Do I see myself like the publican? Or have I been so deceived by all my good works that I think I'm a pretty good person and I don't come to the Lord with any kind of desperation? I'm not beating my breast. I'm not not acting like that in my prayers because, I mean, I'm a good person, right? Do you see how tricky This can be where Satan uses our own good religious efforts against us to seduce us into this place where we're just like, I'm good. We're not coming to Christ with desperation. We're not seeking like a drowning man seeks for rescue, you know, like he's seeking for air. I am begging him 
for that redemption. No, I, I'm doing pretty good. Thanks. I, I think this is one of the main reasons, like you, you read in Isaiah 64, verse 6, Isaiah says, calls all our righteousnesses, sorry, I said that, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. He calls them filthy rags. In fact, if you look into the Greek words right there, it's pretty funny. It's actually a menstruous cloth. Like it's, he is using the most unappealing example that he can find about our righteousness, our works will never, doesn't matter how long your checklist is, it's not going to earn your way back to heaven, right? Ephesians 2, it comes through faith and not works, lest you should boast. In fact, even in, uh, in the Book of Mormon, there's one that makes it so clear. One verse, it's in Moroni 7, verse 24. All things which are good cometh of Christ, Otherwise, men are fallen, and there could be no good thing come unto them. All good things come of him. Anything in your life that's good, even your ability to, to do good works, comes of him. Otherwise, men are fallen. Right there in the book of Mormon. Yes, you are fallen. And there could no big, big, no good thing come unto them. It's through him alone. It's through him alone. And if I start to get kind of wrapped up in my checklist... And what a good person I am and all the stuff I do, just like the Pharisee in that I fast, I go to church, I read my scriptures, we have family prayer, like da, 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 da. I'm always the one serving. If I use that to come before God and to present to him how good I am, I don't need redemption. Ooh, this is a dangerous, dangerous fig leaf apron. It's like I heard one um, writer say once, if you're sick you're, and you know you're sick, you're going to seek out a doctor. The dangerous part about this one is it veils our need for the great physician. We're like, no, I'm good. I don't, I don't. It's that person over there that needs Christ. I'm, I'm doing fine. <laughs> um, there's another way we can tell if we look deep into our motives. Now, again, it's not going to be fully obvious to us. But I think a lot of times another sign of a Pharisee that we're wearing Pharisee fig leaves is that we rely on our works, on our good works, to subconsciously like inflate our self-esteem, to validate ourselves. It's like what we were talking about last time, that false identity of the church superhero. We're not doing it to truly serve God. We're doing it because we love the approval and the attention that we get from all of our works. Now, again, our first instinct is going to be, that's not me. I don't do that. Of course. I mean, the denial, denial is deep. Do you see how religious denial can be so dangerous? But ask yourself, okay, why am I posting that service project I did on Facebook? I mean, maybe your intent is not to to get attention, but maybe you like all the all the comments that say how awesome you are. Oh, you're so good. You're so amazing. All these likes, all these follows that uh, am I feeding off of that? Am I using those works? That then has become my fig leaves. It's look at, I like the validation of being the good church superhero. And I'm relying on that has nothing to do with serving God. Listen to this perspective. This comes from, in fact, I have a couple quotes for you. Um, One comes from Jenny Allen in her book, Nothing to Prove. She says, we want to be great and we want to be special. So we spend our whole lives trying to prove we're more special than the next person and using God to do it sometimes. Do you see how sometimes our motives for our works 
have nothing to do with serving God. It's to make me feel like I'm special. Look at all I do. Look how much everyone loves me and looks up to me in my congregation. It, it's, it's self-serving. It's self-serving. Can you see why these fig leaves are so dangerous and how we need to have our eyes open to them if we are doing this at all in our lives? And again, I think the denial is going to be so thick. The layers of fig leaves are going to be so thick that our first instinct is always to say, no, no, I'm not doing that. But man, we should be on our knees going, are there ever these motives in me? Is it keeping me from coming to, to Christ with a desperate heart like the publican did? Do I see myself as him, as that publican does? Desperately in need for his mercy. Or am I praying? Am I approaching God like the, like the Pharisee? Here's another quote from John Eldridge in his book, uh, Free to Live. Boy, this one's insightful. He's talking about this exact thing. And he uses an example. He says, Mary is a woman who loves to help people. She's always the one to stay and clean up after a party. She'll make copies for the meeting. She's always happy to take your call. In fact, she loves to be asked. But over time, I noticed something. Mary will serve long and hard as long as Mary is the center of attention. If someone else is telling a story, she doesn't really pay attention. If someone else is doing the serving, she sort of wanders around the sidelines with a bit of a hurt expression. The truth is, Mary is good so long as she's needed, even needed to carry heavy burdens. But it's still about Mary. When it's about someone else, she isn't present at all. Now listen to his final statement. What looks like service is really her way of getting herself needed and noticed. And that's not goodness at all. Okay, so is there ever a time that I'm using my good works for alternate reasons, for comforting fig leaves, to cover the shame, to cover the sinlessness or sinfulness, excuse me. Is it a way of validating myself? Is it a way of building my self-esteem, which we will talk about next time? What is my motive for what I do? Have I become a Pharisee at times? I am getting close to on time. Um, I like to keep these close to 20, but I've got to do one more that's huge. That's huge. And so we may go a little longer on this one, but this one's too important to cut out just because of time. A last way, there's lots of ways we can act as Pharisees, lots and lots. But there was another one that was huge for me that, that I never saw as kind of self-evaluation. If you do this, this is, this is Pharisee behavior. And I went, oh my gosh, I do that. I did that all the time. It's the idea that if a bad thing happens in my life and I kind of, in my prayers, get mad at God and, and ask like, after all I've done, how can you let this happen to me? How how many of us have said that prayer? After everything I've done, how? That simple prayer, that simple cry from our heart. After all I've done, how could you let this happen? That shows that I'm using my Pharisee works to buy God's favor. Look at all I've done. Now you owe me no suffering. You owe me a life of no trials. That's what that prayer says, right? We're not saying that outright. We're just asking him, after all I've done, how can you let this happen to us? 
we've done this. We've, we've been righteous. We've read our scriptures. We've, how can you let that happen? It shows an inner belief that by my obedience, he owes me no suffering. Ooh, Ooh this one got me, guys. I'm going to share a couple quotes with you, but I want you to think about it. Am I using my works just to buy him off? This comes from the book, Are We Special? The Truth and the Lie About God's Chosen People by Jeffrey Reber and Stephen Moody. Now listen to this quote. One of the authors, he says, I met him with a man once who was contemplating suicide. His wife had just left him and his life was in shambles. He could not understand how misfortune had befallen him. He recounted with me all the good deeds he had done, all the commandments he had kept, and the acts of service he rendered to others on God's behalf. He had done so much for God. How could God let this suffering happen? Um, And it became clear that he had tried to use the quantity of his good deeds and his obedience to the commandments to hold God hostage to his will. He believed God was bound by his righteous deeds to protect him from suffering and to bless his life in the manner he desired. When God didn't do that, he believed he broke his word, word and there was no reason to keep on living. What a shame that he believed his good deeds could ever compel God to never let him suffer. What a mistaken understanding of blessings and suffering as well. I don't think when those of us ask that question, like after all I've done, how could you let this happen? I don't think we ever realize that we're doing this, that we're trying to use our good works to hold him hostage to our will and to compel him to never let us suffer. But man, right? That's some pretty intense stuff. These fig leaves are tricky. They're sneaky. And it happens underneath the surface. I'm sure if you talk to this man and try to explain that, he would just say, I'm just trying to be obedient. But his obedience had an ulterior motive. One more um, quote, and then we'll probably wrap this up. It comes from the book, The Prodigal God, Recovering the Heart of the Christian Faith by Timothy Keller. Huge recommendation for me. Oh my goodness. I've shared this with so many people, this book. Tiny little book. Profound truths in this book. Exactly what we're talking about today. So if this is kind of, if if the Lord's speaking to you a little bit through this episode, prodigal God, go find that book. That will rock your world. <laughs> He's talking about the older brother as, as opposed to the younger brother, the prodigal son that takes off the bad one, the one that, you know, is the mess. The older brother isn't a mess. He's been the good one, right? But he talks about how this type of fig leaf can skew our thinking as an older brother. We're the good ones. So listen to his perspective. He says, why is the older brother so angry with the father? He feels he has the right to tell the father how the robes, rings, and livestock of the family should be deployed. In the same way, religious people commonly live very moral lives, but their goal is to get leverage over God, to control him, to put him in a position where they think he owes them. Now listen to this. Therefore, Despite all their ethical fastidiousness and piety, they're actually rebelling against his authority. If, like the older brother, you believe that God ought to bless you and help you because you've worked so hard to obey him and be a good person, then Jesus may be your helper, your example, or even your inspiration, but he is not your savior. You are serving as your own savior. Oh, man. I get goosebumps. That that just wrecks me. 
If, like the older brother, you believe that God ought to bless you and help you because you've worked so hard to obey him and be a good person, then Jesus may be your helper, your example, or even your inspiration, but he is not your savior. You are serving as your own savior. Oh my gosh, you guys, we have gone into some deep water. I kind of need 20 more minutes on this. <laughs> I, I just thought we could cover more ground. I've just thrown all this deep stuff at you. It's a lot to process, and I apologize for that. But we had to kind of crack the door open. And maybe I'll just keep going in the next one. I was going to go on another another figly favor in the next one, but maybe we'll we'll see where the Lord leads me. Can you see that these things need to be prayed about, need to be assessed in our lives, evaluated, need to be... Um, our eyes need to be opened to some of these fig leaves so that we can see we're doing it and we can see what's keeping us, what's keeping us from being completely reborn through Christ, lit up with his eternal life. If we are covered with all of these kinds of fig leaves, it's going gonna, it's gonna to keep us stuck. We're never going to find the clothing he gives us. The redemption and life he can fill us with if we're stuck in these places. Do you know what? Here's the thing. I'll just wrap that up for today. Chew on it. Maybe listen to some of those quotes again if you need to. Think about it. Pray about it. I know it's a lot. I told you from the beginning it would be. But these are crucial things that we need to explore. Spend some time doing it and we'll go farther in the next episode. Thanks, guys.